You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We are live. Hi, I'm Bernadette Peters. Hey, I'm Anissa Foles. Hello, hello, hello. I'm Fergie Philippe. Hi, I'm Eliza Oman. Hola, soy Florencia Cuenca. Y yo soy Jaime Lozano. Hi, this is Al Morgan Lee. It's Alex Brightman from Broadway and beyond. Hi, this is Joe Iconis. And this is Lauren Marcus. Yes, that's escuchando. And you're listening to B-Way Show. B-Way Show. B-Way Show. The podcast. Hey, friends. Welcome to B-Way Show, the podcast. Your home for theater conversations from a passionate Broadway fan and reporter. I'm your host, Shoshana, and I want to start off by emphasizing Black Lives Matter, period. The show must go on. It's show time. Get it? <laughs> because I'm Beetlejuice and she's show. Anyway, B-Way show time. You know, the whole being a podcaster thing. Listen or else. This week's guest is Nick Blameyer. I'm especially excited to release this episode today because I'm chatting with Nick and Ethan Slater this Friday, August 6th, the day Edge of the World's concept album is released on Broadway Records. Tune into BUA Show YouTube and comment along in the chat. Now let's get to know Nick Blameyer, the writer and performer based in Brooklyn, who at 23 wrote the Broadway one-night sensation rock musical Glory Days, which has since had over 50 productions around the world and will reopen in Japan in fall of 2021. He's written five other original musicals, A Little More Alive, Soon, Fallout, Edge of the World, and Space Dogs, which I can't wait to see this upcoming winter off-Broadway at MCC Theatre. More details on those in today's show notes. Nick has released three EPs of pop songs, all available wherever you listen to music. As an actor, he most recently completed the national tour of falsettos as Mendel, recurred on Dash and Lily on Netflix, and was nominated for a Drama Desk Award for his performance as John in the off-Broadway revival of Tick Tick Boom. Here's our conversation from May 6, 2020, recorded for my live YouTube series, The Show Must Go On, Line. Enjoy! And hello, everyone. We are here at the show must go on line with Nick Blameyer. How are you doing today? Hi, everybody. I'm good. Show, how are you? I'm great. Thank you. Really appreciate you coming on today. It's been a lot of fun kind of going through all of your everything you've been in, which has been quite a lot. (laughs) That's so nice. I didn't know you were doing that. That's cool. Yeah, it's really fun. If there's something that I might know you from or, oh, I've seen you in one or two things, this is an opportunity to really like get to know your body of work. And like, I have three sticky notes full of your body of work, which oh is God. so exciting. Wow, that means a lot. I mean, it's, uh, it's, I don't know if it feels like a body of work as you're doing it, you know, do any of our, like we feel our lives as they're happening, but it's just so cool to, to know there's stuff out there. Yes. There definitely is. So we're going to kind of like popcorn through all the different things and maybe go back and forth. But today is the anniversary of Glory Days. It is. is. So the perfect place to start where that came from and what that process was like. Man, so I, when I was in middle school, I had no friends. I was like a typical uh, nerdy theater kid. And it really took me until like sophomore year of high school to like find like real uh, strong connections with other people my age. And I found them doing musicals. And it was actually a production of Grease uh, where I met 
three guys who I'm still super close with, two of them were in my wedding and our friendship was very real. And it really like, sort of like family it was that first feeling of like, oh, this is sort of sibling rivalry. And there's, there's a certain like hierarchy within these four people, but we're sort of still safe from the world. And that feels, you know, really sacred. And it was until graduation of high school. And that was sort of the first big transition in my life, I guess, you know, middle school to high school, comparatively, once you have some life to look back on, you know, that like leaving home is just its own big deal. And I was really adamant about keeping that friendship strong as while we were gone. But so much kind of imperceptible changed in that year. And our friendship really, really fractured in a way and, and sort of took time to find a new shape. I, uh, I just thought that was really interesting. And I was talking about it with a, a buddy of mine who was outside of uh, those like that core four, this guy named James Gardner, who I was super close with and sort of like watched us as a as a team, you know, as there are these sort of like, it's not a click, but it's like these people just click. And he was watching us and he was like, yeah, you know, it's sort of like this four versions of masculinity in a way, you know, and we decided to write about that. And I was really interested in uh, stuff that James and I really shared, like Eric Bogosian and Suburbia, um, his play, Pounding Nails into the Floor with My Forehead, Danny Hawk, and The Fantastics. And these shows that you could do, that, that someone like me in high school or early college could do for no money. So we wanted to make something like that. And the the thing that we were right about right off the bat was that we could actually put it up rather quickly and cheaply. And so my mom made a poster for 60 bucks and we slapped it on the door of uh, a community theater and that we had uh, done shows in when we were kids. And they put up a reading. It was very profane and overlong and a mess, but it had that transition was bottled in it. And that transition is true. And so even though we weren't writers at all yet, it, it, we accidentally sort of stumbled upon the thing that, uh, articulating the thing that we had set out to do. And that's what really carried it through its journey through to Signature after four years of developing it on Eric Schaefer's couch, uh, driving back from Michigan and James was at Maryland. And we just, uh, it was just fun. And then we did it at Signature and it translated. I mean, the boys that we got to do that run are incredible and they just sounded like one person when they sang together and it it uh it was they were hilarious andrew call stephen booth jesse jp johnson adam halpin shout out and uh and we got good really good reviews and it was all still so fun it was just totally without any you know like i want uh this to go to broadway which of course is the way to make things gel you know, if you're thinking about that, which when we got the opportunity to start thinking about that, it fractured the group once again, oh. you know, and, um, and it, it's really hard. It's, I mean, we moved, we moved, this is a little bit of dish. Next to normal was supposed to go in a circle in the square and uh, it wasn't ready and it went to arena instead last minute. And so they had a hole right at the end of our run in DC. And we were talking to like Old Globe and to uh, off-Broadway places to do it like just like a nice little thing. And these Broadway producers came and they were like, we can do this. Like you would be moving three months from closing into the theater, which is like about a year and three months faster than any other Broadway show. That most shows take so much time to, to think about it. And we like saw this opening and I remember being in the lobby of Signature and just thinking like, wow, I mean, we're going to do it. Uh, even though it didn't feel like the right decision at all, you know, I, would, I wouldn't change it to do it again. And, you know, the rest is history. But it was really, really cool. The whole thing was really, really cool. Wow. I mean, I could not even imagine working on something and then it's like, do you, do you want to go to Broadway like very soon? Like, yeah, let's go to Broadway. <laughs> It was really, really strange. It's a little bit like, um, I mean, this is a, a bigger deal. The way that 
Michael R. Jackson articulated feeling about winning the Pulitzer. He was, yeah, I mean, like, just gets give it up for that man. Like, he's always been great. He had Strange Loop in his pocket while we were doing Glory Days. Like, that is the weirdness of this business. And, like, we caught lightning in a bottle and no one would pay attention to him. And, uh, uh, I mean, we could say many, many things about that. But he, you know, found that show found its way because it was great. And he articulated on Twitter, he was like, never in my wildest dreams, right? And that jump is, is sort of the weird, like, fairy godmother's wand that this business does every so often. It just, like, growth spurts you. And, you know, that can be good and bad. But it, it yeah, it definitely, you're, you're right. Like, it, it does feel like not a logical jump. Like, that's insane. <laughs> It's funny that you bring that up because I was actually going to bring it up later, but like go with the flow. So, you know, Rent was one of those shows kind of similarly to Hamilton that I got on late. Like, and now I can sing all the words to both of those shows, but I wasn't in that like core, like first few years or, you know, first few years when it was like off Broadway and people were talking about it. But with A Strange Loop, I saw people talk about it and I was like, I need to get there. And so I went and I like did that state, like the rush policy and we like just chilled out for like a few hours. And the night we were supposed to see it was the blackout, the Broadway blackout. So we were in the lobby and it was just like, I was like, no, I have worked so hard to see this show. Did you go back? I went back and I saw it. Awesome. It is like my success story of like, no, I know I've heard enough good things about this. Well, that's, that's the theater thing, isn't it? It's just like, it's for all of us. We push through because the thing matters so much, like Mm -hmm. audience or practitioner, it's the same high, you know, like I just got to be in around the musical. And when you really, when one gets an energy, you know, I I heard what actor was talking about that when she reads something, she knows, oh, it was Natalie Wood. We're watching this Natalie Wood documentary, my wife and I, and uh, on HBO, it's really good. Nice. And she's like, I, you know, I didn't pick things that were best for my career. I picked the things that just clicked with me. Mm-hmm. Where I was like, oh, I know that person. I can be that person. Yeah. And it's the same with the shows that you love. You know, it's just like, I love Big the Musical. The anniversary of Big the Musical's opening was the other day, and and nice. I know Danny Jenkins really well now, who was the lead in that, was like a, a hero of mine when I was a kid, and I love that show, and it's like a flop. But like, that's, you know, one of the great things about musicals is like, it's a private, you know, link, and it's like yeah. everyone's all together, but you pick, and, and people mm-hmm. are like, no, I love, you know, merrily we roll along. Uh, and people are like, no, it doesn't work. And it's just like, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to take my taste away? Right, exactly. And the interesting thing about Glory Days is it makes me think of like, I have a few friends from camp, you know, growing up, I like to call myself like a weird nerd. And uh, my camp friends and I saw 13 together on Broadway way back when. And it was the first show I ever saw in previews and then saw it twice, actually, when, you know, it closed and people like have their own feelings. And I'm like, but I love it. Like I, I associate with those songs. I don't really care what you think because like, I still sing the songs to this day. <laughs> right. I mean, it's just, it's how you link with it. And sometimes it has to do with where you were in your life. And sometimes it mm-hmm. just has to do with like the show having something in it that reaches out beyond it. Very true. So what was it like having a show go to Broadway while also being in Crybaby. <laughs> Sounds ludicrous. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was awesome. It was terrible. It was awesome and terrible. It was, I, I was exhausted. I was stressed all the time. I developed a phone addiction absolutely during that time because my phone would beep when I was in rehearsal for, or buzz, my Blackberry would buzz. <laughs> Uh, when I was in preview rehearsal for Crybaby, and it would always be something important. Like every two to three minutes, it would buzz. And it was like, my wife and I call them peak experiences, where you're just like living at such a level. You know, every moment is important. And you're just like exhausted when you fall into bed. And, and making musicals really is that. And 
and it's so rare and we all chase that dragon because it feels so good, but you can't have them all the time. Like you actually can't sustain them. And I was having two peak experiences at the same time, partially because if I'm honest, like I rushed a lot through my like teen years. Once I like figured out that I, that musical theater and I were like bonded, I sort of, and I've done this historically in my life, like historically, like I know that I do this, um, that uh, I like latch onto something and I like learn everything about it I can and get as far as I can with it. Yeah. And sometimes it's like better to let things coast, but I couldn't do that. I really, I mean, when I heard, you know, Jason Robert Brown was 24 when he wrote Songs for a New World, I was like, oh, so you can be young and do this. Like, okay. Yeah. But like, you know, those two dreams also ended then, which is weird uh, because they were like, the dream in a way, you know, and it was sort of like, oh, I'm seeing all of the real world blemishes on this, like egos and people who shouldn't be in charge that are and, you know, just how hard musicals are to get right and the scrutiny of the New York audience because like it is the pin, the, the, the like top of the pyramid, you know, in terms of like people being like, prove it. You know, why you? Mm. That was happening in both shows. And in a way, I think it should happen that way. Like, I, I like the sort of way it grinds shows to be better, but it can also make it a desperate act. And when a show isn't working, people go to that place. And so it was it was hard to be calm during that period, but I I also loved it and I you know, learn, I got a crash course in really this business and what people will say and then do and how sure you have to be that something is worth putting out before you put it out and how kind of clear you have to be on the micro of like making decisions every day. Because what happens is like you make decisions every day and then you start veering off from what you meant to be doing. Mm. Um, and that definitely happened with glory days. Like we never wanted a $300,000 light wall. You know, we never wanted a band that sounded like the Jonas brothers. Like those were things that Broadway seemed to want. And now being older, like this is a reason also to be patient because at 35, I know those things. Now I know that I want it to sound authentic and I want it to sound like me and I want it to feel like me and I don't want to compromise for some like phantom commercialism. Mm -hmm. But, you know, would I know that had I not failed at 23? Like, yeah, you know. Right. I know that's the whole, like, if I only knew then what I know now thing. Yeah. Just the way it goes and you're going to do what you do. But I, I, so like for me, I'm grateful because I, I'm grateful to know the lessons now, but like, you know, it was definitely in therapy all the way through my twenties for it because it was a trauma. It was so sad to have it stop that day and to put friends out of work and like, you know, it, I mean, people were wonderful about it and the community really rises up in that moment and that's beautiful. And the show has become this like cult thing that I just dig and I'm grateful for, but you know, it comes with sadness a little bit and, and like, that's a bummer because the show on its own was never intended to be all of that. And so like, you know, the fact that like people still like it considering all of that really makes me proud. Totally. The artwork for it, like the cover is so cool. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Signature is an unbelievable place. That's where it started in DC. And they have always done because Eric Schaefer is a graphic designer and started in graphic design has everything there the look of their shows the the poster art all the way back like to the 80s or early 90s maybe is magical i'd really check it out it's like the coolest movie posters and and they just nail different things about the musical like they'll bring Mm. something out in it i remember there was one for into the woods the year before glory days went up there was an ear with like the ear canals were all wood line like wood uh like brambles careful the things you say children will listen right and so to get like a warhol kind of yearbook thing was super rad thanks for saying that i agree 
Yeah, of course. It, it like, it's one of those things that it just like sticks out, you know, like when you see something that cool, you're like, I need to make sure that like in my brain, I put a little note for that. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah, for sure. And we have some awesome people um, commenting here. So I want to give some shout outs. Lisa. Yeah. Hey, love seeing you here. Okay, Tracy says, last year I made an offhanded remark to one of their managers about Broadway shows that open and close on the same day. Turns out he was a lighting designer on Glory Days. It was Mark equally Mark's. awkward and cool. <laughs> That's awesome. I love him. Mark's amazing. I mean, that was what was cool is so many of us came from regional theater and that was our first show. And yeah. so we're like super bonded, you know? It's, uh, it's, really, it's really great. He was a great guy. Love him. He still is a great guy. <laughs> Still a great guy. And then Danny says, I love big. So you got another big fan. Excellent. Emotionally, so true. Just check it out. It's the people who wrote Starting Here, Starting Now. Daniel Jenkins kills it. There's just like, I mean, it's it's a show about kids written by 50-year-olds. So like there's some funny like raps in it. But then there's also just like unbelievable insights into adulthood and childhood and aging and it's really good cool i'm definitely gonna check that out so just to like take it to that place like what is it like emotionally and like how do you get through when it when you have the high of it opening and then you find out like how did you find out it was closing what was that process like uh i was we opened on a tuesday and we got we got the review at the party. I was at the party. wasn't thinking about anything. was just like happy to be there with, with friends and family. My buddy Brian came over, who played Will in the uh, Michigan production, University of Michigan, where I went to school. When I was a freshman or a sophomore, we did it, and he played Will. And he came over, and he was like, the review's out. Do you want to see it? And I was like, how is it? And he's like, it's fine. It's a B minus. And I read it and I was like, oh, I like snapped back to reality and was like, oh, fuck. Ooh, ooh, oh, shoot. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, I just proceeded to get like pretty like college drunk. And I had a two ma- I had two shows the next day. And we all partied super late into the night. And uh, I had cried baby the next day and had gotten off for the opening. And I had to go to the University of Michigan's showcase rehearsal because they were doing good old glory type days in the showcase with rewritten lyrics that I had written like during this hysteria of like mania. And I went and in the room, I got a text that said, we're closing, come to the theater. <laughs> like I'm about now. Um, and I went to the theater and everybody was there and we were in the lobby and the producers were just like, you know, sullen and apologetic and um, everybody was furious and there were fans outside who were like, what's going on? Um, sorry about your closing. And we were like, hey. Uh, and I had to go to the theater um, and do the show, which was good in a way. I felt way bad for James because James was had moved to New York for this and he was just like, am I moving home now? Like, you know, we all, we had all sort of, had there was a cast recording plans and tone we had made a tony performance um like a tony um like mashup of all the songs and uh yeah it was cool and we actually ended up doing it at the album release we did as the closing number which is cool actually it's worth checking out on youtube because uh (laughs) we're all like kind of drunk by that point Promise I'm not an alcoholic, but like <laughs> no, we, we were, you know, after openings and at Joe's Pub. And it was like a big reunion. It was like everyone who'd ever done Glory Days was there. And uh, we say my next story in like six part harmony. And it sounds so bad because no, I was so like, good. I love you, man. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so, yeah. So, so I just like moved right into um, Crybaby and James went back to DC and Andrew Call joined the cast very quickly after of Crybaby um, after Glory Days closed. And, um, and it was just like the new normal. And it was really not until like 2009 that I really was like, what? Because I, I went on actually to do Black Suits that summer. I finished oh, wow. Crybaby and 
they were all, and was doing double duty of Crybaby and Black Suits at the end of Crybaby when that ended like mid June. So my voice was shredded and my shoulders were like up here. Yeah. And uh, I like remember cracking one night and doing black suits and just being like, I am pooped, but it was so fun. And it was all such good stuff. And here's the thing that like sounds political, but like, is really true. I, I felt like not, not sort of right about feeling sorry for myself because like, these are, you know, people's dreams that I was getting to experience. And I felt so grateful all the time. Just like every moment was like, how is this happening? that I, you know, didn't let that down for a while. And it really didn't happen until 2009 when my next show, A Little More Alive, got optioned. And I like laid on the bed and I was like having heart palpitations because it was just like, oh God, it's happening all over again. And now we're going to go back in and try to get a theater and move it to New York. And here comes all of that. And I hadn't really looked at it. And, you know, I'm glad. I'm glad that, that all of that, turmoil happened because now I'm just starting to get back to a place of loving it just to do it, which is then making it easier to get things done. Yeah. I could only imagine the emotional roller coaster and, and trying to be like, no, it's cool. It's cool. I got this. But also you're like living your dream simultaneously. It's, it's so many emotions. I get totally. it. It's yeah. Thanks. And, and it's, yeah, it's like, you know, we never get to pick how much of things we get. You know, they're getting not enough or too much almost yeah. in every dose. And that's really hard. And when, so it's like when you're getting way too much, you're like, slow down, like, let me get this and like, so I can really savor it. But it was really like a month of my life, you know, um, in the scheme of it, it was 10 years, but it was, it was fast and furious. Yeah. In a weird way, I, I can feel that because, so I, I started this company, B-Way Show, as a way, because I grew up as a reporter, I was an on-air right. like journalist in yeah. West Texas for two years, which was pretty cool. cool. Yeah, very. And I, yeah, and I, I came to New York. I'm from New York originally, but I went. I drove cross country from Texas. I had this dream. I was like, I, I think I might be good enough to be a Broadway reporter. I don't know what that means, but I, like, I had some really right. cool friends who were like. Yes, yes, you can. And so I did it and I applied everywhere and I got a bunch of freelance gigs and then like simultaneously was building my own company and not really sure what direction. And then I realized like, I can do this all, right? Like I can write, edit, produce, direct, be on camera, reach out to people. And it was like, oh no, your dream is to have your own company and be the person like, but I wouldn't have known that if it weren't for that whole journey and being on air like, six days a week, which is absurd, you know? Yeah, you put in the hours. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you really, you do have to do the work. And I was really, you know, I've always been proud of that. I don't, I don't feel like, and what you're describing doesn't feel like anybody's handing you anything. Like, I'm definitely putting in like my 10,000 hours and you have to, right? Like yeah. you, in order to be able to, to move and as you did like earlier, like adapt to the interview, be like, oh, I'll drop this here, as opposed to like having too harsh of a plan. You know, all that stuff is really from comfort of like repetition. Totally. Yeah. I remember, I remember the first time I ever went live on air at CBS seven and I was just terrified. You're like, I have a script and my producer like approved of this script and I'm going live. Do I even look at the script? Do I just look at the camera? Like what goes here? What goes there? And I was just so nervous to get anything wrong that I just Mm -hmm. seemed so like a robot. Right. And you don't want that from a reporter or from anyone. The result, if you're focused on the result, it just kills your spontaneity. It kills your ability to be in the moment. Totally. Right. And it's obviously easier said than done. But like now, a few years later, I'm like, oh, okay. People like the human element. They like when you're just connecting. (laughs) Right. Because it it makes them feel like, wait, like, why wouldn't you, you know, react to this? Like, it's always so great when you see YouTubes of reporters respond to like a total audible. Did you see this one with Mandy Patinkin? Oh, the one with the kid? Yes. That's the baby. It's Amazing. so good. And the, and the reporter's just like, all right, so we're going to, uh, you know, and, and just being totally sweet. And yeah, I, I think that's like, as you say, it's why that, that went viral. If, if yeah. the reporter had been awkward, it might have gone viral too, but not for right. the right reasons. Yes. 
Oh my God. For anyone who hasn't seen this, you I actually retweeted it because that's how much I loved it. Same. This, this male reporter uh, was in this interview. It was like two reporters and Mandy Patinkin. And he's just like, it's happening or something and leaves. And so Mandy looks at the female reporter and is like, what's going on? It's like, oh, he just got the message. Like his wife's in labor. They're having a kid. And Mandy's like, I want to celebrate. What is this we so can't talk cool. about me anymore. We got to talk about the baby. <laughs> right. Right. And the reporter's like trying, like, oh, I could only imagine. Like, she's oh. getting like stuff in her ear, oh. like from the producer, like, let's get this back to Mandy. And Mandy's like, no, this is so awesome. Let's talk about the baby. <laughs> totally. totally. So good. Oh, totally. man, I love that. Which actually makes me think of, I can't remember now if it was the Black Suits reunion or a different one, but I was just re-editing some of the, like, post-show hangs from Be More Chill, and someone was, like, messing around, not messing around, but, like, fixing the wiring for Joe Iconis, like, as he was about as he was like in between songs and Mm -hmm. they like come in and then Joe's just like talking to the crowd. And then he takes a second. He's like, I need to acknowledge that there was a person. Thank you so much. That's great. So (laughs) good. Like you can't just sit and see someone come by and everyone's in the audience. Like, wait, we, we see this happening right now. I know it's a weird, it's a weird thing that like, I think is going away hopefully, or at least someone like Joe is, is doing his best to make it go away, where there's like a hierarchy between crew and, and talent or like front of, you know, onstage yeah. personnel. And there just isn't. And it's, it's really hard to do because the, the showmen are out there usually because they are charismatic and like want people to look at them. And then the crew people are usually backstage because they don't want to be on stage being like scrutinized. But like, that doesn't mean they shouldn't be, you know, acknowledged and yeah it was cool i remember that moment that was really cool of joe yeah totally when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply is there something about being in a show and also knowing that you're like a writer, music, lyricist, like, does it make the acting part different? Do you look at the lyrics in a different way? Totally. Um, I think it's made me a better actor, honestly. I, it, it's been um, really just like a journey of understanding what the story is doing and like how to tell it either as a writer or as a, as an actor and an actor is less responsibility in a way because you're just your piece of it. And, you know, as a writer, I'm constantly thinking, what does the character want? What are they doing? What does the character want? And if I can get that down to something that's playable or sayable or, or, um, you know, tellable, showable, really not tellable. Um, that's great. And if I can do that as an actor, great. Um, I also just like, I'm so relieved as an actor because somebody else, you know, has to deal with it all working and I can just sort of ride it rather than create the gears. Um, And, you know, I've gotten to work with some, some people who are just so good that uh, they do a lot of work for you and you can just Mm -hmm. kind of say it. And that took me a while to figure out actually was like, it wasn't my responsibility to write the show every night. You know, it was Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I did a show called Found at um, at the Atlantic, and that was a really eye-opening show because um, I got the part, and my name was like first on the sheet, and had I was had lines on every page, and I was like, "Oh, this is the lead! Like I'm the lead!" Yeah, and uh, I was just doing so much in rehearsal, and it really took until tech, and I think my wife said it to me. Um, but I think maybe Lee also said it, uh, the director and Hunter Bell, um, that like you, you don't have to do anything. You're the straight man. It's a show. It was a comedy about these found letters and and tapes that um, these like really unbelievable comedic actors were bringing life to and singing them. Eli Bolin, who wrote um, 
the documentary now company spoof and um yeah. the Slack lunch bunch on on netflix oh, he wrote the, the music and set these poems and and i was just trying to like conjure them in some sort of like self aggrandizing way and the minute I was able to just relax and just play mm-hmm. Davies Want, which was just to like get these out to the world, right. my job got so much easier and I got so much better, more relaxed, and I found my pocket. I wasn't trying to do the whole show myself. Totally. And speaking of being the leading man, you know, you got the Drama Desk nomination <laughs> for playing Jonathan Larson in Tick, Tick, Boom. Yeah. What was yeah. that like? Oh, it's the best. It was the best ever. Um, I mean, that I've had so many of these moments and I feel so lucky to say that, that, that where like I've dreamt about something and then suddenly I'm in the presence of it. And that's something that I think it drives a lot of artists to do it, right? Is when you're like, oh my God, I'm in the same room with like Daniel Jenkins from, from Big or Raul Esparza or Brian Darcy James, or like Gavin Creel, these people, Norma Lewis, um, people who like I, you know, copied for for years yeah um but in terms of tick tick boom rent as you said earlier is like Pulitzer prize winning seminal work uh found it when i was in seventh grade like that was when i was starting to understand what music was yeah and what musicals were and and suddenly that was like try this you know try like a basquiat keith herring version of a musical um rather than a rogers and hammerstein and uh, that that led me to Tick Tick Boom in in, um, in high school, and I wore that CD out, and I saw yeah. Raúl Esparza um, play Che in Evita uh, on he was on tour in 2000, and he was unbelievable. Check that out on YouTube. There's a yeah. like sorry Raúl, but um, uh, I just was like Tick Tick Boom is the the anthem of the young writer. I mean, it is, it's Sunday in the park with George for like my myopic situation. I'm like, I want to be, you know, by 30 somewhere and I want people to know my name and all of these things. And, and over, you know, 30 is such an interesting crux because a lot changed for me. Um, when I turned 30, just about ambition and like where I was going and why, and is it about the art or is it about like making money? Like, you know, just how you balance oh, yeah. these, these things. And he's going through all of that, Jonathan in Tick, Tick, Boom. Right. And the writing is so good. It's written by the guy who wrote Proof. So like, it's just playing at such a level and the arrangements, Remus, and the songs are just, he's really fighting to understand through his writing. And he's yeah. not trying to write an opus. So they're like kind of more honest and raw. Mm. And anyway, I, I, I just knew it by heart. And so when I got called about doing it at Keen Company, I was like, A, these people do great work. Keen and Jonathan Silverstein are like secret uh, weapons in the off-Broadway community. Like they don't do the big expensive musical ever. Um, they don't value the stuff. They try to do it with as little stuff as possible. And that is, works perfectly for Tick, Tick, Boom because it's really just about a piano and the people and the guy and the people around him. And the way that that like made space fluid and it just really made this show kind of feel like uh, like, a, like a concert or a one-man show or something. Right. Um, or even like a stand-up night. Like it was very like sparse. And so getting to do it was this like collision of dreams. And then it was like getting to go to that place emotionally, uh, like changed my, my life again. Um, so I was 32 when I did it. So I had the perspective on 30, which I think was maybe good. Um, and yet I hadn't answered some big questions for myself about like, I really want to be an actor. Is that just what I started doing? And Am I going to write musicals forever? Like, is this really what, this is hard. And like, I don't know if I can take it, frankly. Right. Um, and I got to put all of that into this like perfectly articulated, you know, um, set of words and, and notes. And on top of it, 
you know, we know that Jonathan passes away when he's saying this stuff. So there's this added element in the show of like my problems as like, uh, you know, woe is me. It's all about me is also being questioned by this show. That's like, yeah, but like mortality and, you know, don't you think he would rather be here than have rent? Um, and that is so intense. And so that was going on. And then the election happened. And we're doing the show and it's like, what does it take to wake up a generation? You know, wow. and screaming that out to the audience. And so the catharsis was just crazy. It was crazy. Yeah. And I wasn't worried about being good. And that was mm. good. Right. I think when you take a step back and you just let the music flow and you let the the part actually just like do this, the talking, then yep. that's when it it really like connects with the audience. Oh my God. And, and how, you know, all the parts you, pr- you play previous, how they prepare you. Yeah. And like I, what I was saying about Davey, if I hadn't learned that, I would have overacted Jonathan. Right. And that I was getting more grounded. It's taken me a long time because I'm like histrionic. Yeah. Um, but what's also good about playing uh, like a, a part like that is that it tires you out so you can't quite put up the same like walls. It's mm-hmm. too exhausting. Yeah. And you don't quite have the same nerves as when like a one night engagement, you know, is so hard because you're like, oh my God, here I go. Yeah. And whether or not it is getting married today, it feels like getting married today. Um, yeah. But this was, you know, it was better. And it was George Salazar, you know, like, and Sierra Renee, and then replaced by Lily Cooper. Like, it was just like crazy. Yeah crazy game of catch wow yeah i that that cast just sounds amazing of course i saw george multiple times in Uh be more chill and i just saw sierra in uh the wrong man oh right yeah 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 ross golan and josh henry was amazing in that yo yo josh henry josh and i sorry no no please you go (laughs) josh henry and i um we did the first few readings of Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark together. And we did the demos together. And I remember sitting in the lobby, because I think we're the same age, in the lobby of Chelsea Studios. By the way, R.I.P. Shetler Studios. Oh, my God. Oh, oh that's so sad. Um, super memories there. And uh, yeah, so now I'm, now I'm placing Josh and I in Shetler. Um, but... Uh, we just like chatted and I just remember like liking him so much and being like, this dude is a star. Um, and was like in the ensemble and yeah. you know, then found his way. Yeah. My friend saw it and was like, you need to see it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I will. And then I got a press ticket. And so then I went back and I was like, okay, you need to see it. You need to see it. And I think I saw it three times off Broadway. <laughs> so cool. So cool. Yeah. I love seeing shows off Broadway. It's, it's so cool. Oh. I saw Spring Awakening off Broadway, like right when I got to New York and it was just like, what? Yeah. Like yeah. what? Yeah. Oh my God. Speaking of great posters, have you seen the oh. poster for the original Spring Awakening, the off Broadway? No, I guess not. Check that out. It's, it's perfect. It's an 1800s German girl and like a microphone, I think hanging over her head. Wow. A microphone. And it's just like, you know, the perfect yeah. sort of why do this. It's great. Yeah, that was a, a crazy show. I saw it two weeks before it closed. Oh my God, on Broadway. On Broadway. And I remember like the actors, yeah, like the actors like took a lot of time at the stage door. And like, I have these like very distinct memories of like Matt Doyle and Gerard Canonico just like chatting with us, which cool. is absurd. It's awesome. I mean, it's really important. Like that's part of the thing that's great about Broadway That's that's kind of weird about being a movie star I would imagine is like it's just too many people when you're a movie star like it's too many people to ever satisfy anybody without like being there all day and on Broadway it's like you know if you're there for a long time after the show you're there for an hour you know like it's and it's so lovely because all of the Broadway actors were on the other side of that that uh fence and you know so to pay it forward feels very good and the whole thing is just very friend that whole interaction for the most part is very friendly between artist and audience and uh when it is and i think like a show like that where 
it's just, and those kids are like becoming stars and it's, it, they're just like, it, they're feeding off the energy. It's like, you know, those are moments in time. Totally. Yeah. It is a very special connection between broad, Broadway, like the audience and the, the actors. And if, tell me if I'm correct here. I think I saw Alex Brightman was like an understudy in glory yeah. days. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, Alex, I've loved Alex since he was 20, since I was 22 and saw him in a production of Alive at 10, which was a musical written by Ryan Scott Oliver that never happened because it had a rights issue. Um, and he was the lead guy. He was so unbelievable, but also just like the funniest person I'd ever met off stage and just so dry. And he, uh, he was perfect. I mean, I wish he had gone on in glory days. I mean, it was one of the great things to go through that process with him because it was basically like he was hired to be the stand up in rehearsal and he just like told jokes. And then when he would go downstairs and sing through the songs, like, you know, in the sort of half-assed understudy way that you do during previews, I was just like, who are you? You're unbelievable. And then he morphed into this like, Jack Black, John, he's playing John Belushi in the John Belushi movie. Like he is, he is like one of the greats and as a person and as a, as an actor. Yeah, he, I've been so fortunate to have been able to like interview him a few times. So he was one of the first people I like reached out to for this, oh, cool. which I think is a crazy idea. I mean, I'm truly like living my dream right now that I was able to reach out to like him and you and just. Uh, That's very nice. Very, very grateful. But I think people don't realize that he like has such a nice voice because he plays like the the school of rock and the Beetlejuice. But when you yeah. actually hear him just sing, oh, you're like, oh. oh, he's a craft, you know? No, and, and that's, he can do this thing with his voice. He is one of the most resilient voices of anybody I know. He was in a show of mine uh, at Signature Theater called uh, Soon, a musical about the world ending actually and about a girl isolating in her apartment while the world is ending. Um, and he plays the boyfriend of the girl. Uh, and he, he was a romantic lead. I mean, he just was like the offbeat, like tenor. Um, and he sounded unbelievable and never sounded uh, bad or tired. And he's, you know, he, I've heard him talk about that Beetlejuice voice that he did and that he could do it. And they're like, it's, it's healthy and cool. And I'm like, I couldn't get through one show like that. Like, oh. no. And oh. um, so I, uh, I admire him all the more for that. Completely. So to go back to Jonathan Larson, what was it like to do the Jonathan Larson project? Oh, man. I mean, that was like such a cherry on top. Truly, like, I can't believe, I, I could never, in a lot of ways, I felt like I could never top Jonathan doing um, tick tick boom and playing Jonathan and one of the great things about being an artist is the way that it's not about topping mm. it's just like other stuff keeps happening like in your life and in in hopefully in your work and um, that came out of nowhere and was like oh let's just do tick tick boom two back in the habit you know like it was just like all all my favorite people come into a room and do songs that no one's heard that are arguably even better than the ones in Tick, Tick, Boom. Like what, uh, you know, and filling in this gap in, in this beloved man's canon. And then, I mean, that is so many layers because it was George and like I've known Andy since college. He was in the show of mine. Um, he's great, super talent, great writer himself. Um, and Lauren, I'd known since I got to New York, since before she was with Joe, we had done rewrite together. Krista, we had done a million things together. It was just like, and then Jen Tepper, like stepping into this new role and really like becoming an adult before my eyes. And um, even though I think, had she already done Be More Chill at that point? Um, I think she, it was like happening simultaneously. Well, right, at right. least the the CD version, yeah. Right, right, right. Yes, they had done maybe they had done uh off broadway right um, but yeah it was just like glory time glorious and 
uh, oops, uh, and uh, <laughs> and then uh, and then Rhapsody, and then like she gave me this five minute song, seven minute song that is like one of the most amazing pieces of music yeah. I've ever heard about being a New Yorker, and uh, and then she you know trusted me with it, and that was like this extra again like spiritual thing, and and then piano at the end of the show, and just feeling like the lights are flickering, you know, is he here? Like mm-hmm. it just has that like spiritual sort of conjuring, you know, um, like kind of seance feel. It was really a, a crazy, crazy experience. Wow. Yeah. Just listening to some of those songs and seeing the performance at the Barnes and Noble was really cool. Oh, thanks for coming to that. Yeah. Or did you come and you, did you? I filmed uh, it. Yeah. It was you. Um, that's me. <laughs> that was you. Uh, yeah, it was really, um, that was really cool too. That, that's a really scary room. It's like you get up there and you're like, oh God, uh, I could just, like the sound, it's not the same like sort of rock club where you can kind of pretend to be a rock star, like you're under fluorescent lights. Um, but the songs are so good and I had sung them in a while. I had just gotten back from tour, I think. I'd done the Falsettos tour and just came right. back um, for that. Uh, and was like, again, you know, these like little reunions. Yeah. That the, the paths of everybody crosses. Because I think because Broadway was almost done when we did Barnes and Noble and George and Lauren yes. and I sat backstage and they caught me up like on all the gossip. And that was, you know, like yeah. candy. Exactly. Tracy's saying Nick singing Rhapsody is chef's kiss. Oh, that's very nice. Thank you very much, Tracy. Yes, yes. So I, I want to be cognizant of the time. And I there are like a few things that I wanted to like try to ask you. So it's it's gonna yes. seem like Yeah, yeah. Cool lady room. Um, so well did it were you in one of the, the numbers in Fosse Verdon in Heart? I was. I totally was. What was that experience like? Shaved like a babe. Um, it was awesome. It was so awesome. I mean, so my relationship with Lynn and with Alex goes way back. Um, I did bring it on, um, in Atlanta and had an amazing time. And Helena York was, um, Campbell and she got injured while we were there. It was like crazy time, but so fun. I became friends with Ephraim Sykes was in that ensemble, Brandon Espinoza, Michael Minlin. Um, we were just like, we had the best time and the show was like figuring itself out and they went a different way for Broadway and know our feelings. And Alex called me and, and was just like, you know, we're friends, like careers are long. I'll see you soon. And I was like, cool. That means a lot. And they called me to do the first reading of Hamilton and I played the King and that was amazing. And, uh, you know, you could tell that like something was awesome, but it was still not that clear. Um, It was only the first act at that point. Rebecca Naomi Jones was in it and uh, I forget who else, John Rua. Um, It was really fun. First round of piano. And then my wife ended up doing Hamilton. She had also done a reading of Bring It On. So like we went out with Lynn and Vanessa and it was just like, we're like in each other's lives. And um, then something else happened. Oh, I, Alex and I just started trading music back and forth. And he, um, I guess they called about doing, um, yeah, they called about doing the audition and made us all learn four parts, my agent called. And it was one of those things where like, I, I was excited to go in to see Alex, like sort of less to like sing heart. Um, yeah. And also because I didn't think it, they were going to give me the high part. I was worried they were going to give me like the kind of boring 10 or two part. And yeah. I was like, I mean, I'll, this is cool and I'll totally do it. But like, really it's just a chance to like hang out. And I went in there and did the high part and he was like, cool. All right. I didn't know you could hit that B flat. I was like, all right, man. Um, and, uh, then I got it and they gave me the high part and I was like, this is amazing. And we hung out in the trailer in, um, uh, in Staten Island and rehearsed it. Brian Kali, Aaron Kaburik, um, PJ Benjamin was the, uh, coach was amazing. And, uh, and it was, wait, it was Brian Kali, Aaron Kaburik and one other person who's the, 
last of the quartet. I'm, oh, oh, PJ. I'm sorry. Uh, and that was great. And we did it really fast. And Tommy Kale is cool. And uh, Morgan Marcel, who I'd done a show with yeah. in uh, La Jolla, was the dance captain. Like taught it to us in the lobby of this like beautiful, ornate theater. And, it, you know, it was awesome. Like, it, TV is so weird because you don't get to like fall in love with everybody. It's like just mm-hmm. like a, a week, you know, a couple weeks. I did a thing recently that was like a three week contract over the course of a couple months. And that was the most I'd ever done. And I still don't feel like I got to really know anybody. Yeah. That's what's awesome about theater. So it was weird to do t- a TV version of a theater thing. Right. Um, but it was really cool. And I thought they did a really beautiful job. I need to go back through Fosse Vernon because it's one of those shows that I watch like every week, Tuesday, I think at nine. And now I haven't, I haven't like seen it again. And it's yeah. cool to know like there are certain people in those roles that you're like, oh, wait, look at that. And I love like those little like Easter eggs of, oh, I saw they you in that. Too. They do too. And that's what's really awesome is that like they do a really good job of, of playing to their their core nerd audience of which they are members, you know? Yes. I, I was wondering if you and Lin-Manuel Miranda had some sort of connection because, you know, with the Tick, Tick, Boom and yeah. him playing in it and now him directing, like that's such a yeah. great thing. Oh, it's so cool. It's so cool. I, I, I'm such a fan of, of that, that thing getting out into the world and I feel like he is as much a fan um, and that means it, it happens. You know, that's the great joy, I think, of the complicated joy of becoming famous like Lynn is, is that his life is less his own and all of that, but he can now get something like Tick, Tick, Boom done, which like, you know, I, I actually took a meeting about it a long time ago and, and really wanted to make it into a movie and, and was just like, you know, this is going to be done by somebody who like, whose name everybody knows. and. I'm just like, okay, if it's going to be anybody, it's cool to see you, Lynn. It's cool. (laughs) Right, right. Like, because you want it to be a passion project with something that everyone loves so much. Exactly, exactly. You want it to be cared for. And, and, you know, he cast Bradley Whitford as Stephen Sondheim, and that says it all. Yes. And that's also his, like, chef's kiss because he loves the West Wing. Totally. And my dog is named Leo McGarry, who's the chief of staff from the West Wing. So like, yes. you know, the, the crossovers are crazy. This, I am, whew, I am <laughs> loving this. I'm getting so many great little factoids. So great. So um, I saw something um, in like one of your bios that said that you're working on something for Marvel Disney. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that? I don't know if I can. Uh, I wrote the stage adaptation of The Descendants um, for Disney. Yes. Um, which was awesome. And, oh, actually, I think there's a press release out. You know, I think there was a press release out. Cool. Uh, Marvel started a, um, a play division to try to figure out how to make theater. Yeah. And they brought a few of us into a, a sort of writer's room, six writers. Uh, Christian Borrell actually was one of them. Um, and he wrote an amazing, like, teenage Thor play. Um, and, uh, I wrote a play about, uh, Ant-Man's daughter being, um, uh, sort of like a witness to a moment of sexual assault when she's small. And so it was like this, this sort of, uh, you know, how do you do superheroes on stage? And it's like, well, what if you do it similar to King Company, right? Do it with no stuff rather than a ton of effects. And so Ant-Man's great because it's just like, you're gone or it's like an action figure or something like that. Mm. So then we're going to play about eight man's daughter. And, uh, and I love people at Disney and they're, they're really like, they're changing, they're broadening and, and moving into new spaces and trying on, you know, kind of different ways of making theater as opposed to just frozen, which mm. like, I'm really glad about. I think there's so many titles, not all of them need to go to Broadway. Not all of them need to be $700 million production. Um, so it's been really cool to be part of that. Wow, that is so exciting. I, I hope to be able to see more about it because that's like very much, like literally, I'm going to show you some oh, here. Oh, yes, totally. 
I love superheroes. Musicals, uh, West Wing, we're killing it. I know. This is great. Oh, man, that's fun. Cool. That's even better. You know, sometimes you see something in a bio and you're like, oh, I hope I can ask about it. And I hope it's like a cool combo. And that was like... Awesome. Oh man, it was so, it was such a cool call to get. I mean, I, that's that's yeah. one of the great things about being in this business for a while is you know you do and actually Kyle Jarro who wrote SpongeBob, it's a buddy right. of mine. He wrote we wrote a musical together and have been talking to Disney about doing stuff together. And he is a few years older than me and was the person to say you know the more you just just stick around, yeah, just stick around. Because people will eventually remember you. You'll meet them at enough parties and they'll be like, oh yeah, you. Mm-hmm. And that really happened last year. Where like, it wasn't like Lin-Manuel Miranda making the, the Netflix movie, which is a huge responsibility and fear too. Like the proportional fear of writing the Marvel play is way less and in a way kind of nice. Like yeah. it was just, it was another interesting creative thing in my world. And that's, you know, it's borne out that like, to your point too, about making making your way and figuring out what your way is going to be. Um, yeah. That takes time. And just speaking of SpongeBob, what was that like doing that out of town? Oh, it was the best. It was best. I've said that a lot, but a lot of, a lot of great, cool things you're mentioning. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was awesome because it was so much better than it should have been. Just like everything about it was more political and smart and sardonic. And the part was like something I never get cast in. I was playing the bad guy, got to rap, do hip hop, do that weird James Bond like villain voice. And um, it was Kyle writing it. He and I wrote our show Fallout during the workshop of SpongeBob. They let us write a song for a while that was in the show, a rap that eventually got replaced by T.I., but like, Kyle and I had a song in there for a minute, which was cool. And I met Ethan Slater and Danny Skinner and Alan Washington and Lily Cooper. And I mean, the list goes on. J.C. Schuster all the way down, Vlasi Monpoint and and Tina. Tina was huge because so I was hounding her from the second I met her to have her direct something of, of my own. Oh, yeah. And... It was, you know, she's like very thought after and <laughs> was busy. Um, and we went all the way to Chicago. And then I got another job during the run of SpongeBob on Broadway, a mm-hmm. uh, movie job. And I had to do it. And I just was like, I, I'm, I'm not going to turn down this opportunity for, for a show that I, I feel like I got to do. I got, feel like I got to do, I got to do the cast recording for SpongeBob and I had the experience and I got the friends. Yeah. The person I was really worried about was Tina, was just like her not understanding. Oh. And I sent her an email and called her and she was amazing about it. And was just like, I get it. Like, again, career is longer than just a show. Right. And so I brought her a musical of mine uh, that I'm working on now uh, with Van Hughes that is called Space Dogs, uh, about the dogs that went into space in the 50s and 60s. And I think you might be hearing it here first, folks, but Tina Landau is directing it. Oh, that is so exciting. So it was like a really cool first circle moment, full circle moment. And yeah, I mean, we, we did a reading at MCC in... Uh, in March and right before all this happened, but it was a beautiful reading and so many people have have their work in limbo right now. It's so crazy. The time we're living in is so crazy, but it's just like the fact that we did a reading with Tina as the director yeah. is something that no one could take away from me. And it was a total joy in every way. And she's a genius, genius, genius. Talk about like meeting your heroes and having yeah. them, you know, Wow, that is so exciting. I'm so glad we spoke about it because what a nice little thing. But that that's so cool. And I really, I can't wait till, you know, the world starts spinning a little normally and we can see that. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I just hope it for so much theater. I'm so sad and scared about it. Um, but I, I just, you know, I think in terms of quarantine, like you doing this and I mean, I'm, I'm writing every day, you know, it's like, I'm very grateful for creativity right now because it keeps me away from the, the void. Yes. I feel that. So is there anything that, um, you want to make sure your fans out there hear anything for them to look out for you or any like nonprofits that are in your brain? Oh, that's really nice. Yes, totally. Um, on my Instagram is a, uh, a link to donating to NYC hospitals for food, for 
healthcare workers and there's a bunch of different things that they they use the money for and they're a really reputable organization and they just really need it right now um new york food bank is also another place that's wonderful and responsible and um is getting food to people who you know can't leave their house or uh don't have a house so that's uh yeah it just feels like you know the more that we can do it's it, it just makes the sitting feel that much better you know you're just like i'm not giving i'm not i'm just taking mm. that's really bad and so I feel like it, you know, in trying to make ourselves feel as much better as we can in these times, give, give, give. And then, you know, just uh, stay in touch, everybody. I hope I'll see you soon. Awesome. Yes. And just to keep you all in the loop for next guest, we have Jasmine Forsberg coming up on Friday. And then we have Alexandra Silver. We have Lance Rubin, Drew Gasparini, Mandy Gonzalez. Like, this is just going to be so much fun and Anna Villafagne we like there are just so many people that you can just keep tuning in subscribe to that BOA show YouTube and and I have a show Treon. it's Patreon if you just type in patreon.com slash show find another way to support artists so that's pretty cool yeah thank you all so much for tuning in and thank you for chatting with me this has been really amazing oh my god such a joy thank you so much show hi y'all Take care. Bye-bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the 28th episode of BUA Show, the podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review so you can be a spy on the inside for future episodes. Tune in this Friday, August 6th, at BUA Show YouTube for my live chat with Nick Blameyer and Ethan Slater on release day of Edge of the World. Listen to that fabulous album and check out Nick's Space Dogs at MCC January 2022. Thanks to all the show trions and special shout out to the showstopper and shenanigans levels. Shannon Wheeler, Naomi Cotner, Judy Cotner, Alyssa Wallace, Teresa Piliero, Cindy Howard, John Benson, Julie Larkin, Ashley Stazak, Lisa Michelle Martino O'Neill, Andy Gilderhus, and Eva Finklawson. If this was your jam, you can become a Showtron. Head over to patreon.com slash show. You get exclusive access to film performances, photos, and interviews, as well as up-to-date news on what's going on in the theater world. It's a fun time. Come check it out. Thanks as always to Kyle Braxton, aka Geddon for these awesome beats, Jelani Remy for the beautiful intro riff, Alex Brightman for the Showtime promo, Chelsea Hill aka Illustrating Diva for the cool cover art, all the wonderful guests, and all of you for listening. Broadway shows are announcing their new opening dates. While we're excited to see everyone get back to work, we must stay vigilant in our calls to make theater a safe space for everyone involved. We need reports on how companies will be enacting anti-racist, anti-transphobia, anti-ableism, and anti-abuse work. We can't go back. We must move forward. Get your vaccine, wear a mask, be safe, and let's take care of ourselves. Proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. We'll see you at the show. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.